Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavour. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Premium quality, great tasting and a versatile healthy alternative. Buy in store at all major retailers. G'day guys and welcome back to the Dylan Friends Podcast. This week another big guest. Hayden Ballantyne. Hayden Ballantyne is an AFL footballer for the Fremantle Dockers. He played 171 games and kicked 254 goals. He was known for his goal prowess and his ability to get under his opponent's skin, which we absolutely love on this show. Although if you love or you hate him, one thing is for certain, you would love this bloke as a teammate on and off the field for a few cordials. We touch on it all, being a mature age pick to Fremantle, pranks around the club, his most memorable moments, becoming a horse trainer in Western Australia, and following in small forward fashion on this show, he gives his bunny defenders that he absolutely loved to play on. Also, guys, in some very, very big news, the Dylan Friends podcast will soon become a Dylan Friends vodcast. Now, for all you champenuses out there that don't know what that means, it's a video podcast that will also be available on YouTube. So make sure you jump on YouTube and subscribe to the Dylan Friends page, which is www.youtube.com forward slash Dill and Friends. www.youtube.com forward slash Dylan Friends. The link is also available in the show notes. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some lighthearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Hayden Ballantyne, gee whiz, I'm excited, mate. Uh, I've wanted to do this podcast for a long time. Um, welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. I'm uh, excited to be on here. Tommy Sheridan's been uh, hitting me up for a while. <laughs> he is. He's my little minion. I, I use him. Um, <laughs> old friendships do. They're half about using people. But I use him to land all my big guests, and that you are, mate. But look, just quickly, I want to put it out there. Um, our relationship, you think it's maybe a little bit negative. I'm actually wrapped with it, to be honest, because... I had the pleasure of playing on you one day down there at Subiaco Oval, and you actually got me another three years in the AFL, mate. That night, I put you to absolute sleep. <laughs> I put one of the best small force asleep in the comp, and I've pretty much signed another three-year deal. So, firstly, thank you for that. Well, I actually kicked three goals, but then you reckon that was on Zach Tui, so <laughs> we, have, we have different memories about that night. No, I think, that, I think there was different memories, but from memory, actually, in that game, I was playing on you, but you tore your peck pretty early in the game. So no one knew that because you were, you were pretty tough. You actually played through it. So everyone was thinking I was doing a good job, but the, the thing is you actually were just playing with one arm. <laughs> I, taught, yeah, I, I tried to tackle your captain, Mark Murphy, and um, I heard this noise when, when he hit the ground. I've heard this noise. I thought, oh, geez, I've got him here. I've heard him. But it was actually my peck looking off the bone. So <laughs> I couldn't move after the second quarter. I think after the second quarter, I could barely move after that. So I was in a bit of pain. Um, it didn't stop you though, mate, because I think about halfway through the third quarter, and at these days, look, you know, when I was playing games, I had to make them count because I was on match payments, and, geez, it was fantastic getting match payments, obviously, when you were playing footy. Um, you know, you wouldn't know about that. You'd been on the big bucks, but I was on match payments. So when you decided to start wrestling me and trying to punch me in the head halfway through the third quarter, and I had to wrestle you for 30 <laughs> seconds, then rocking up on Monday knowing that I was going to cop a $1,500 fine and be pretty much play for free that week, it was a little bit frightening. <laughs> it does it does hurt, doesn't it? I, my last fine was, I think it was five grand. One for instigating a melee, that was three, and one for wrestling, which is two. And I thought, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. I'm just <laughs> going to put up, I've, I've put my hands away now. That's it, I'm done. 
before we get into the start of the show, I actually want to. Do you have any idea how much money you've paid in fines over your career? Oh, it'd be a lot. I got for three weeks in a row. I got fined for pinching Gary Abbott, pulling Harry O'Brien's hair, and bumping someone else in the head. And I got three weeks in a row. I got a thousand dollar fine. So I didn't learn my lesson too well. No, you didn't. Well, I got one for you. Um, one day I threw Lindsay Thomas into the fence. Um, Dane, Dane Swan actually elbowed him in the head once. That's probably my claim to fame. And um, accidentally headbutted <laughs> Matt Guelphy one game, which we won't talk about. But, mate, I want to get into you. So it's a, great, it's a crazy career. I didn't realise, but you're actually a mature age pick. Yeah, 20, 21 I got picked up. I had three years in the waffle before I yeah, got a crack at it. So you started at Peel Thunder Mandurah, wasn't it, down there? And you won a Sandover medal that year that you got picked up. Yep, yeah, so I played uh, Colts, so Colts is the basically TAC Cup equivalent over in WA, and I uh, played a couple of years of Colts, thought I would get drafted after State 18s, and it didn't happen, so I uh, ground away for a few more years playing for Peel, and um, yeah, luckily enough, Freo gave me a gig in 2008. What was it, do you reckon, that you, why you didn't get picked up? Was it that classic small forward, um, too small, or was it other things you had to work on? I was actually a midfielder, I predominantly played through the midfield, and um Played pretty good footy, like I, you know, I'd average 25 and kicked 20 or 30 goals a season, but um, it was always he's too short, and that was uh, yeah, pissed me off a bit. But no point in sucking about it. I got to work as a small forward. Chris Waterman, a, um, he was our coach at the time, said, "Why don't you ever crack at small forward?" And so I went forward and kick, ended up kicking uh, 76 goals for the year and won the Sandover. So it was a smart move. Very smart move. So how did that work then? Obviously. In WA, there's two teams that predominantly guys get picked up to, especially if they're um, mature age picks. Was West Coast sniffing around as well, or was it always going to be Freo? No, they they were. They said they were going to take me with uh, pick 20. They had picked 20, and Freo had picked 21. So um, they end up picking um, Tom Swift. West Coast did. Yes, yes. And I end up going to going to going to Freeman. I had a few other clubs that were interested as well. Hawthorne were interested at uh, one of their picks and. Uh, Port Adelaide as well, but I didn't really want to go to Adelaide, so I was pretty happy to stay home in WA. Far out! You could have gone to you could have been a four-time Premiership player. Yeah, yeah, tell me, and one of them would have been against the Dockers too, so <laughs> it would have been amazing. Mate, um, <laughs> I want to talk about this because that's Peel Thunder. Uh, is it Rushton Park? Yep. There's actually a Hayden Ballantyne wing. Now I've heard two stories about this, and one is the legacy you left down there was just so strong that they thought. Far out, we've got to give this bloke a wing. And the other is, your grandma actually won Tats Lotto. Yeah. <laughs> which one's, which one's not true? Not Tats Lotto. I don't know. I, uh, it's not Tats Lotto. She, had, she won Lotto. And, Lotto. Um, yeah, my, nan, my grandma did win Lotto. And um, I don't think that's the reason why, she, why there's a wing, though. Okay. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, if, I think Tommy's been rolling with that one, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, what's, so what's behind that one there, mate? You've got a whole wing named after you. Is that literally just because of the impact you had down there? Well, that's what, I, I, that's what I'd like to think. But um, my, my grandma actually kept, dug, the, dug the club out of water, uh, hot water, one year and um, donated a, a substantial amount of money. And, um, and yeah, the following year, I won the Sandover. So it was a bit of, a, it was a bit of timing-wise around it as well. So... But yeah, she helped the club out and um, in a financial way, and I helped the club out on the field. So it's a bit of a mixture of both. That you did, mate. And uh, I pay my due respects to uh, the Mandra, uh, Mandra, the um, Peel Thunder Footy Club. Great football factory down there. I know a lot of the boys have done some hard yards. Mickey Barlow likes to think that he's done big things for Peel Thunder as well. Yeah, no, he he, he come down and 
had 40-something possessions in his first game at Peel Thunder, and uh, he, he tells everyone about it as well. So when you got picked up to Freo, you were actually in... You are overseas. So is this true? You were overseas, and there was something going on that you actually might not have been allowed to get picked up because you were in, like... Were you international at the time? Was that, is that right? Yes. Oh, I was on a footy trip, yeah. <laughs> so we, <laughs> That's what I was hoping it would we, be. Uh, yeah, for, the, um, for the, uh, the draft camp, so I was invited to that, but I had already planned an overseas trip with the boys, and um, it wasn't a priority, but I pre-organised with the, with the draft camp manager and all that stuff that I was going on this holiday, and uh, yeah, then it got blown out the water, and I was told I can't be drafted because of this and that, and I was like, oh, what? sort it out boys get it done and and anyway I come back and I did my own draft camp by myself I was a fat little small forward and getting pinched on the skin for skin folds and did a did a time a uh, what are they beat test by myself and yeah it was pretty solid now you got obviously got picked up and it obviously went well what are your first memories of walking through the doors at Freo um obviously being in Perth Fremantle and West Coast they're the they're the two teams we mainly watch and Matthew Pavlich was a superstar at the time. Aaron Sanderlands is the biggest man you've ever seen in your life and walking in and they were the first two to greet you. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. And I hit it off with Aaron pretty quick. Me and him, uh, we're on a pretty similar wavelength. So we um, love a beer and a bit of banter together and me and him have been great mates ever since. So um, coming in, it was very open and welcoming and yeah, got stuck right into work. Your role, I suppose, um, and I experienced it firsthand, um, and you were very good at it, was obviously getting under people's skin. And, and you did it to a T. Um, for a long time there, you were the best in the comp at, at doing that. Is that. Was it something you went into a game knowing, or you just knew that you know to play footy, you had to rock up with that attitude? Off the field, you'd probably consider me a pretty placid type of guy. I love having a bit of fun and, and, um, and love a bit of banter. But once I get on the field, I don't care who it is. They're, you know, they've got a big target on their back. And... I used to enjoy getting out there. I'd pick the best defender and I'd just go hard at him all day and not give him one inch to think about what he was meant to be doing and make him think about me all day. And it seemed to work. I got under their skin. I kicked a few goals, which pissed them off even more. And then um, I think it went went a long way to winning a few games. Definitely once a few games where you might get a free kick right in front of goal and, and put us up and get, the, get our team fired up as well. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get to one of those games in a moment. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Check out more eps at dylanfriends.com. Who are some of the blokes that you just love playing on? Like We like to talk about bunnies in this um, podcast and blokes that we just know we had it over. Is there anyone there that you can name now that as soon as they came walking out to you on the field, you just knew you were in for a good day? Oh, uh, yeah, Tommy Bugley was one. I think, I think you boys are mates with him. But Tommy Bug, whenever he come on me and played on me, he was, um, he was like, oh, I'm going to have a field day. I think I kicked six on him one day. Oh, yes. Five or six. And, and not that he was, he was always only just a metre behind you, but it was just, it, it was enough. It was enough to get away from him and, and get on the lead. So it was just, I don't know, just, yeah, it was good. And another bloke from, um, there's a, uh, I'm terrible with names, but number 38 from Richmond. He always he was similar. Just he was always Steve Morris. Just half a meter off me. Just Steve Morris. That's him. Yeah, and just half a meter off, and just always seemed to have good days when I played Richmond. Then. Well, yeah, okay. Well, I, I was surprised, then. I thought you were going to say me, but I suppose we only played on each other once, so you can only do so much. And it told me, pe- and I told me, peck off the ball, and so, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about the day. Uh, I can't remember. It was obviously, was it? A, I think it was a rematch or either to get into a final. But the day that obviously Maddie Scarlett put one on your chin. Um, what, what's your memories of that day? Because I know there's a funny story that sort of preludes it um, to this day now. 
Um, well, they were the reigning premiers. 2000, um, 2011, they won the flag. And, um, yeah, I just they, they were a team that we always came up and played well against. They, my first game against Geelong, Matty Scarlett actually put his knee into Pav's back and really crunched him hard. And I didn't remonstrate with him, and I'll never forget it because I was, I was pretty pissed off at myself for not going over and getting stuck in. So I thought, you know what, from now on, they'll be the ones having to remonstrate with me. So whenever that happened, whenever we played Geelong, I always got up and about, and Matty Scarlett was one I enjoyed targeting because he used to fire up pretty quick, as you could tell with that one on the chin. And I suppose, was it, I think one of your birthdays, someone had a sign jumper, got a sign jumper from Matty Scarlett? Yeah, so this is this is only last year. Um, my little brother thought it'd be funny to get a signed jumper from Matty Scarlett, and um, and it was it was it was actually quite funny. He walked in with had a big cheesy grin on his face, and it said um, <laughs> said the Matty Scarlett's uh, life achievements: one punching Hayden Ballantyne on the chin, two <laughs> six All Australians, three three with Premiership medals. So, but then it, and then at the end said. Uh, Happy birthday, mate. Would have loved playing with you, so it was a nice point. That's but the great. funniest story was trying to, trying to get that jumper. Mitchell, uh, my little brother Mitchell, he rang the Geelong Footy Club and said, oh, my brother's Hayden Ballantyne. I need. I wanted to get a signed jumper from Matty Scarlett for him as a bit of a joke. And they said, oh, I think he'd be into that, so he'll call you. And about two or three weeks later, Mitchell gets a call, and the bloke goes, g'day, mate, it's Matty Scarlett here. I heard you want to get a jumper. And he goes, is this really Matty Scarlett? And he said, yeah. And he goes... Prove it. How many games you play? <laughs> That's great. So he was trying, he was trying, he was trying, to, trying to get proof from Matty Scarlett that it was actually him, him calling him up. So oh, that was uh, that was the funniest story out of it all. And I've I've had the pleasure of actually meeting Matty Scarlett, and he's not like he, he's not the most vocal bloke. For, for for him to do that, he's obviously got to have a bit of input into it, and he, he actually wanted to do it. Yeah, no, it was, it was great, and a lot of people said that about Matty. He's um. He doesn't say much, but when he does say something, people people tend to listen. So, and that's what you want in in a, in a guy like him who who does lead the backline like he did. And that's it, mate. I think that he na- he nailed it on the head as well. Like, I, you know, I didn't play a lot of senior footy, but when I did play, like, there were some things that you'd say to people that you just like, wow, like that was that was pretty bad. Like, I probably shouldn't have said that. And it's those yeah. blokes that you have the arguments with like, on the field that you, you just know that you, you're going to love them. Like, if someone can make me hate them so much playing against them, you think, fuck, he's doing a good job. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. And that's if I was annoying the crowd or annoying opposition, I was obviously doing my job. But like you said, the guys that you play with on the field as well, when you can, and you can go toe-to-toe with each other on the field and have a real crack at each other, Two seconds later, then you're talking positive about doing the next thing. That's uh, that's what you really want to be involved in. Mate, I, I'm weird with numbers. So, like, when I was younger, I'd always know what number, like, every player was. And something that rattled me about your career, because I knew you were number 17 when you first got to Frio, and then you changed to number one. Now, obviously, number one suits you. Like, I love that. But where did the change come about? Because I've, I always thought, like, you would have stayed with 17, but I did. The, the one suits you now that you've done it. I always wore one throughout pretty much since I was in um, Auskick because that was always the smallest jumper. That yeah. was the only reason I started with number one. So I always had to wear one in juniors coming up through, and I was I always played above. So like when I was sound to 14s, I had to play under 16s because um, in our small country town of Beldivis, there weren't a whole lot of teams. So I had to make do and I played up so I was always the smallest kid playing with the smallest jumper and then I just stuck with it played it in all my um, Colts years 
league at uh, Peel, and once it became available at Freo, I uh, jumped at it. Who left? Uh, who was number one prior to you? Uh, Luke Webster uh, was one before me, but then it was vacant my first year at Freo. Uh, Mark Harvey was the coach at the time, and he was number one, ironically, and he said, you got to earn it. So he made me wait a year before I could actually wear number one. That's great. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. What's your number people can call you back on, Dylan? Mate, obviously yeah. we touched on it a fair bit with Freo and West Coast. Like It's always been a big thing for me being a Victorian, but... Those derby games, derby derby, I'm not sure what you guys call it there, but... Derby, mate, come derby? on, get it right, okay. derby. So is derby the South Australian, is it? Yeah, well, Eastern, yeah, we Eastern. call it the South Eastern okay. state. Sorry. The derby, it, um, it seems like huge games. Like, obviously, historically, they've been massive. How big were they to play in? Oh, they were. They were. It was finals-like atmosphere. The crowd, mainly because of the crowd, they really get up and about for the derby because... It's bragging rights until the next one, basically, and um, and there was always a, a big atmosphere, big moments, and um, I was lucky enough to play through. I think we won seven straight in a over a period of time, so we had the upper hand for a long time. Coming towards the end of my career, we uh, we lost a fair few in a row, but yeah, it was always a game that we got up and about for, as did I'm sure West Coast. Who did you love? playing against in those games I suppose it was someone that would have gone to you most times or was it sort of rotating or uh, I had uh, Paddy McGinnity he was one uh, came to me a fair bit he was just a dow defender and just tried to do the job every week and um, also Adam Selwood he played on me quite a lot as well and um, yeah they were that Selwood was one of the he was one of the and he was one of the ones that annoyed me because he just punch you and hit you and just just and I did it back to him once, and I got I got fined for it, so I didn't want to do it again. But it was, um, yeah, they were they're always hard contests, and but there's nothing better than kicking a few goals in a derby, and really, especially when it's the opposition crowd, because they just get so wild, and they they walk out early if they're getting beat. So it's always good to ruffle a few feathers in a derby. You mentioned Scott Salwood there. Who else, Who were some other sort of players that obviously came to you throughout your career that like you think were, were good battles or guys that even had it over you? Was there anyone there that was actually really hard to play on? Yeah, one that really hard to play on was um, Luke Brown from Adelaide. Mm. He's a bloke that he just don't, like would not give you... He wouldn't even play on you. He'd play a couple of metres in front because he didn't have a lot of pace, but he was very good with reading the ball and he... He'd more play like the forward, and he was hard to really hard to get a kick on and kick goals on. I, I think out of the few times I played him, only kicked a couple of goals. He was yeah really hard to play on. Um, and another Adelaide guy, Graham Johncock. He was earlier in my career. He was another one. More so, he wouldn't defend you. He'd just run off and try to kick goals himself. So he had to chase chase ass all day. So it was uh, pretty solid. And I suppose being playing at Freo with uh, Ross is my next topic. But before I want to get to Ross. I, Obviously, you guys there, you mentioned before, you won like seven derbies in a row. In 2000, I'm just lost here, but 2000 and what year did you make the grand final? 13. 2013 was obviously an incredible year. Um, what are your memories of that year and I suppose grand final day in particular? We had Maddie, uh, Maddie, we had um, Mickey Barlow come in and talk about the grand final and, and his thoughts on it. Do you have any memories looking back there or is it a game that you just try and sort of put behind you? Uh, I, I think about it quite often and think how close we were to, to winning one and, and beating a great side who went on to win the next two as well. So 
We had uh, we had our chances to win that game. We had 17 marks inside 50. Our thing was we just couldn't kick straight, couldn't get them through the big sticks. And um, as bitterly disappointed as we all were, there was no regrets from that game because we all tried our guts out. We left nothing out there. We all did our job, did it to the best of our ability. It was just took a super side to beat us that year. And you know the next two years they beat uh, Sydney and Eagles by. 50 or 60 points in both games so um, to to come that close to winning one um, although it was disappointing we didn't actually win it um, there was not a whole lot of regrets there more regret that we need to get back there and have another crack at it yeah for sure for sure no it's well answered mate now look Ross Lyon I know he's one of your favorites I know from all reports you guys had a good relationship um, what <laughs> sum it up for us what what was the relationship like with you and Roscoe uh, uh Really close, really close. He was someone, you'd literally run through a brick wall for the bloke. Like, he was just someone you would trust indefinitely. Like, anything he said or you said to him, he'd, uh, he'd keep a secret from anyone. Like, he's just someone you could trust. You trust him with your life. And um, I really, really enjoyed playing under him. And I think he took me to another level in my game. I could always play good footy, but consistently. He got that consistency out of me, I think, and a lot of other players as well. So I think I owe a lot to him. But, um, yeah, he's, he's one of the boys as well. On When he's on camera and doing talking to the reporters and that, he sounds like a bit of a hard ass. But in meeting rooms he is. But then once he's out of there and on the track or out having a beer with us, he's actually just one of the boys and loves having a good time. That's what all the boys say. They say, like, he could give it better than anyone, but he's actually just a ripping bloke. And, um, you know, he's probably my goal up there to get him on the show, just to have a chat with him. But... I want to hear some stories from you. I know as good a relationship you had, that small forward position isn't easy. There's got to be some times there where, where Ross wasn't happy with the way you were tracking. Um, is there any memories of anything that uh, sticks out? Yeah, it, it, uh, against, we played against uh, Gold Coast, that Gold Coast one game, and I had an absolute stinker. And we won, but we only just won. and uh, We were a finals, t- finals contender playing against a, a side that most... Most teams were beaten up, basically. We only just won by a goal or two. And I kicked the ball across the face of the face of their goal. And it come off, because it's so humid out there, come off the side of my boot. And they didn't kick a goal, but they nearly like they nearly turned it over and, and would have scored. And he's brought, like, he doesn't drag anyone. And he's dragged me. And he's gone off his brain at me. He was livid. And he said, get your head out your ass, you big-headed, and all this and that. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's... I've never heard him talk like this before. <laughs> and then um, a couple of days later, I told I actually told Mickey Barlow about it. He goes, mate, what are you doing? You're one of the favourites. You've copped it once. I copped that every week. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I, was, uh, I was actually pretty lucky. I didn't cop too many sprays from him, but when he gave a spray, you, you really knew about it. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, mate, I've heard, uh, I've heard a lot of sprays that he's given. And he just seems like the bloke that, like, I think that oh, I would have just been on his radar all the time. Um, I, yeah. I'm blessed yeah. that, you know, I, I'm so happy that what he's done, but I, in another way, I'm sort of thinking I'm just really lucky that I, would, I, I wasn't coached by him. But he's the bloke where if he's if he's giving you a spray and, and going at you, he likes you. Yeah, exactly. So if, if he if he gives you nothing, if he if he doesn't even talk to you, look like you you, you should be worried. Maybe that's, but, what, uh, maybe that's how he would have treated Carl, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he sprayed Mick Barr all the time. He sprayed Lockie Neal. Lockie Neal. Oh my God! Some of the sprays that poor boy got. But yeah. it was because he knew how much potential Lockie Neal had, 
And now look at Lockie. He's averaging 50, 50 possessions every game. So he, he sees potential in people and he rides them hard to a point until he gets them to where he wants them. And yeah. uh, I think he gets the best out of people yeah. that way. And that's what Lockie said. We had him on the podcast as well. He said that, you know, as, as funny as it was and as hard as it was sometimes, he wouldn't be anywhere without him. You're listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Mate, I want to talk about yeah. something else that you were renowned for, let alone your pressure on field. But off field, oh, I love a prank. I love, like, you know, my favourite thing about playing footy wasn't even actually on the ground. It was just in the locker rooms. Um, I've heard yeah. from a lot of the boys that, you know, you might have had the same passion for that. Um, is there any anything that sticks out in your career for some gags or pranks that you may have pulled on the boys that you can come clean on now? Oh, I've already come clean on it, but, you know, we're on, we're on a really good show here, so I may as well feed a bit more. Yes, please. <laughs> um, Anthony Morabito, he, everyone would know him. He's one of the one of the saddest stories in footy with yes, his knee yes. reconstructions, but he could have been anything, an absolute superstar. And um, me, he lived with me for the first 12 months of his career, and we had a few good times. And um, he tried to pull a prank on me one day where he put deep heat in my jocks, and I put my jocks on, and... And then something started burning all the time. What is going on here? Anyway, I thought, this little shit, he's going to cop it now. So I've got his car and I've drove it up to the, up to the second highest story of this high-rise car park in Fremantle. Yeah. And I've, there's, there's, three, there's three of these high-rise car parks in Fremantle, all owned by the same company. And I've come <laughs> back and I've just put the, put the ticket in his locker and I wrote on it, good luck finding this. Nice. So he's, he's had to walk... He's had to walk and I've told all the boys, I said, do not help him. Let him go, f- f- fuck him. Let him go find it himself. <laughs> so he's had to walk up all these car parks and, uh, and try to find it. He got on the second one, he reckons. So you just took it from the club and said, it's, it's at one of these three buildings. Go and find it. Uh, yeah, I left the ticket. So he had to, then he had to pay for parking ticket as well. <laughs> and um, and he, had to, he had to walk up all these car parks to find his car. So it's safe to say he didn't play a prank on me again. That's gross. I've I've heard that um, Tommy on the show and said that you used to get him a few rippers with the deep heat in the jocks. Um, he would have loved that though. I sort of feel like. Yeah, cold water in the shower too. You get a big bucket of cold water, and to- Tommy, you know, Tommy's always one that talks a lot and has to be the loudest person in the talk- in the shower or in the change room. So, an ice bucket of cold water normally shuts him up pretty quick. <laughs> Mate, um, Freo, obviously you finished up your career there. How did it all play out at the end? Because I know, um, you know, from an outside perspective as well and being in the footy, you know, you were still playing some really, really good footy. Um, and from reports, you know, that you, you did want to go on. What, how, did, how did it all um, finish up? Yeah, so I, I had tore my... I played round one last year, and there, but I'd, I'd strained my hamstring in round one. And then uh, missed, missed the next few weeks... Came back, played a game of waffle, and strained it again in the same spot, just a bit worse. So that was pretty much, uh, yeah. I think I've seen the door after that. I, th- I knew if I couldn't get back playing some consistent footy pretty quickly, uh, I might be in a bit of trouble. So and that pretty much played it out. But um, I had a chat with the general manager, Chris. Uh, sorry, Chris Bond, um, Peter Bell, and he said, uh, "Yeah, this will probably be your last year." And I wasn't. I wanted to play on, but Fremantle gave me so much. So I was, I wasn't. There was no malice towards them. I wasn't disappointed at them or pissed off at them. It was more, my, it was my time up at Freo. And um, the send off they gave me and Aaron, I could not have asked for any more. I didn't really want it. I more wanted it for Aaron. But um, yeah, to be involved with him in uh, our last games together was uh, something pretty special. Yeah, that was huge. And obviously that the um, famous photo of you getting. Uh 
on the shoulders half the game. That was that was grouse. Yeah, that wasn't planned either. He just he he didn't want to get carried off, so he said, "Here, get on my shoulders." I looked and I said, "I'm looking on your shoulders." He said, "Get on my sh- little get on my shoulders, you little shit." So <laughs> you don't tend to argue with Aaron twice, otherwise he'll belt you. He's grouse, mate. It's funny with um with Freo because I've the pleasure of playing footy with Matt DeBoer and Alex Ulvani, which are two of the genuine best blokes I've met in footy. Um, I feel like at Freo as well, like every guy I've spoken to. And I know the list was probably maybe around the same age, but geez, they've you know let go of some blokes early and let go of some blokes that have gone on to do some really good things. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, and I think that that might have been a bit of a turning point for the club where you let go of guys like you said, Alex, Alex Silvani, Matt DeBoer, Tendai Mazungu, just to name a few of them, Mickey Barlow, who are good players and even better people, and. When you let go of guys like that who are the heart and soul of a club, it will take a while a while to rebuild from that. And um, I think that's why there was such a big drop-off from 2015 where we finished top of the ladder to 2016 where we only won five, a handful of games. So, um, yeah, to, to find people like that um, is, is hard. But at, look at GWS. They've they've got a great player in Matty DeBoer and someone who could be a, a, who has captained the club at, the, at now. I think he captained the game yeah. a few games last year. So, um, you know, Fremantle's losses are the club's gain, I suppose. And for you, mate, I suppose the next question, like I know there was a few things that could have happened um, for you after leaving Freo, and there was those murmurs of like maybe heading to West Coast. Was like was that fair income? Was there something in that? Oh, yeah, there was a few few phone calls my manager took from clubs. West Coast is one of them. Um, and I just said, mate, if something happens, it happens. I, I told him I'd prefer to go to a, a club that is pushing for finals because, you know, I want, I want to have a... If I get the opportunity to have a crack, I want to try play finals again. So, um, yeah, it wasn't to be, though. How close was it to be? Like, was there a, an option that it could have happened or was it more of a move into state or was it sort of just staying in Perth? Uh, we're, I was open to anything, basically. Any, yeah. Anything that would give us the opportunity of another year, um, I would have been happy with. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm not. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty content with what I've done for my career. And if my last game was that game against Essendon, getting cheered off by Aaron, oh, I'm not too disappointed about that. Yeah, bloody earth, mate. You've done a huge job there. But you haven't... We, well, before, you know, the life's uh, throwing a spanner in the works. You were having it. Were you going to have a kick this year? Yeah, I was going to. Um, I was going to have a crack back at Peel, my my, my waffle club. Um, I told him I'm not leaving the cage. If I leave the cage, I'm going in for a couple of centre bets, centre square bounces. That's it. So, <laughs> and they they were very happy with that. So, um, yeah, if footy does come back, I'll probably have a few games there this year if I if I'm uh, fit enough. You're listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. Now, I want to talk about the other half of your life, which is horse training. Um, you're a massive man. You're, you're into the training. I, look, I don't know anything about it, to be honest. How did it all start? Like, I know, was it your old man that has started training horses and you've sort of got into it through that? Yeah, my dad, yeah, that's what he does as a full-time job. He's a, he's a horse trainer in Perth. He won the Perth Cup with one of my horses, actually, a few years ago. Yes. So he's um, he's pretty well known around the traps. And um, naturally, I've, I actually grew up, riding track work before school and uh, I get up and ride a few horses and and um, naturally just that led to me getting my trainer's license while I was still playing footy and trained I trained one while I was still playing now I've got uh, seven under my belt and um, yeah I love it it's, it's nothing better so it's still a it's still a competitive environment you know you're still trying to win and 
you get that you know that feeling you get before you run out onto the ground. You, that's that's what it is. Once your horse runs out on the track, it's the exact same feeling. Probably a bit more intense, to be honest. And what's what what is the day in the life of a horse trainer? Because organising this podcast with you, um, obviously you're in you're in Perth and I'm in Melbourne. But you you're getting up at you must have been getting up at like three four a.m. Oh, I get up about five. Um, because we we work in the bush. We work our horse in the bush. No, no lighting. So you can't really do do much work until the sun starts to come up. So um, I don't tend to get up too early. But yeah, I start at five. Um, you normally knocked off by about eight o'clock at the latest. And then, um, and yeah, I've got, I've, like I said, I've only got seven. I've got a worker that helps me ride. And um, and yes, and then you got races Wednesdays, Saturdays. And uh, it, yeah, like I said, I, I love every minute of it. It's um, something I'm pretty happy I got involved with again. And I've heard a bit of a yarn about all the boys buying into a horse. Now, is this the the one that won the horse and Nick Subin didn't know that he even had a share in it? <laughs> no, so this is the one that won a per- no. So me and uh, me and Nick Subin, we bought a share into Talent Show, which right. won the Perth Cup a few years ago. Um, but we weren't at the track for the Perth Cup because she was first emergency up until the day before the race. Then there was a scratching, and then she got a she got a gig. So. She wasn't going to start, so we booked to go. Um, we were at a festival, actually, <laughs> in the Swan Valley, and um, we were trying to listen to it on our phone, and then because we're in the Swan Valley where there's no reception, we couldn't hear it, so we laughed. But she was, she was second last coming around the turn, so I thought, oh, she's no chance. And I checked my phone about 20 minutes later. I had about 50 messages on there, and, uh, yeah, she'd won, and um, she'd won the Perth Cup, and we got her at odds at 20, uh, sorry, 68 to 1, so we'd had a good day. That's fantastic, mate. Is it true Tommy Sheridan asked for a 50% stake of a Div- Division 1 horse for a pair of Rick's Eyewear sunglasses? Yeah, yeah. He actually asked for two shares. <laughs> they, wouldn't be, they would not be worth uh, the, the old, mud that comes out of the backside of that horse. You, you know, I've actually had um, I've had probably four pairs of Rick's ears, and I think I'm done now. I'll, I'll just stick with the Ray-Bans. <laughs> oh, gee whiz, I don't... He's not going to be happy with that. He's not going to be happy with that. At <laughs> no, all. I'm just, I'm just joking, Tommy. They're good. They're good. Tommy's actually, um, Tommy's actually giving me a little bit of dirt on you, mate. Oh no! Yeah, he, he did say to me, he did, he did. Do you actually, do you, do you and you give your dad a kiss on the lips when you <laughs> greet each other? Mate, that's not dirt. That's common knowledge. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, okay. There's no. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, no, that's that's. There's nothing there's wrong with coming said. off he, the he field. He also said. And giving your dad a kiss. Yeah, probably not on the <laughs> lips though. Maybe one on the cheek might be alright. But he said, he also said you wear your dad's flannies with fake Yeezys from China. Oh, okay. Well, that hits me in the heart a little bit because that's Is not it, true. Yeah. Um, I do like my sneakers, and Tommy Sheridan, who for all those blokes out there, this bloke looks like he gets dressed in the dark every day. Like he wears some of the worst <laughs> kits. Of for someone that's in the fashion industry, I would not paint my house in some of the kits that he rocks up in. And for him to say that, he's just trying to stir me, which, you know, he's done. Well done. But no, I do not. What, I do what, about, hair, what, what about your haircuts? You said you, you, you do a few haircuts here and there. Well, the haircuts, I can cop that. Um, I'm not going too well with the car yeah. park situation, so I have to just deal with what yeah. I can at the moment. Um, the fringe does and come And what about Jakey Stein? Jake Stein used to, have to, you used to have to pay 40 bucks for a haircut because you couldn't pay your rent. <laughs> So you charge him forty bucks for haircut, so you pay your rent. That is not true as well. I my fr- my good friend Jake Stein at the Giants. He's a bit like Tommy Sheridan. He's got absolutely no idea um, when it comes to just life in general. So I try and help him out and give him a bit of a haircut because he's had a missus for you know ten years that um, 
uh, he had the man bun going. I said, mate, they went out about seven years ago. So I tried to help him out with a bit of a haircut. I did never ask for money. Um, but uh, oh, okay. have, you, have you got anything he else said, that you tried to for- stitch up with or not? He said it was 40 bucks a month, every month, for a haircut. So Yeah, well... I, 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 the other thing was, have you moved off the first year weights program? That was, that was just the old gag. Now, <laughs> you would know this, mate. You, uh, step up. Behind the pe- you have had the pleasure of this man chasing you around, and you know behind these arms there's a bit of, there's a bit of power. So uh, you, you, from all reports, you should know that that's not true. Um, again, this show is not about Tommy Sheridan, but he... Uh, he cannot lift a weight, and you would know that for being his teammate as well. The the rig that's on that bloke, for, you know, he's a fantastic runner. I'll give him that. But for being in the system for nearly 10 years and the rig that he's got, he should be ashamed of himself. The old spaghetti arms. Speaking of rigs, I know your rig has some beautiful art on it. Um, uh, a passionate young man, a young Australian man, <laughs> could be getting a, maybe a Southern Cross tattoo on his, on his peck. Is that true? I do have one there, yep. Um, Did you, is that why uh, you tried to rip your pack uh, off when you were playing that night? <laughs> it was that shoulder too, actually, yeah. And then you tried to get it removed, but it actually hurt too much, so it's still I went there. For one session, yeah, I went for one session at the removalist, and it, it actually hurt so much, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to deal with it. <laughs> Mate, what's next? What's next for Hayden Ballantyne? Um, obviously, the horse training is going fantastically well, but where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? Well, that's that's pretty much my passion now is, is the horse racing. Um, for, oh, obviously, I love footy. Footy is always going to be a part of my life, I think. And um, I haven't encouraged... I've got three girls, and I haven't encouraged them to get into footy, but they've seemed to take a liking to it over the past couple of months. So um, if they want to get involved with footy, like I said, I'll, I won't encourage... Not because... Um, I don't want to see him in footy. I just know how hard it is and, and more so how taxing it can be on your body. So I wouldn't want to put them through that. But if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. So, But, uh, yeah, like I said, horses is a big passion of mine and um, I'll, I'll be hitting that full throttle. Fantastic, mate. And, look, I'm putting you a little bit on the spot here, but I normally like to ask my guests every um, show at the end if they've got a motto that they like to live their life by. Like, Is there something that you've probably developed over the years that something that sort of resonates with you that you like to go by? Yeah, the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's always been something I live by <laughs> just because I'm a little fella and I need, to, I, need to, I need to back myself up somehow. So that was always just saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. I love that one, mate. I should have used that. It might have worked for me too. <laughs> Bellas, uh, mate, it's been absolutely fantastic. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, it's been huge. Um, I'm, I'm wrapped that we've put this feud to bed because, to be honest, I haven't been able to sleep for the last four years just thinking about it most nights. So um, to, to finally call your mate, I can't wait to... I've been sleeping like a baby, mate. Yeah, oh, I can't wait to catch up um, for a few cold cordials, mate, and uh, best of luck with what's next. All right, no worries. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends Podcast. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Luca Ganano. Richard Stansbury looks after the audio and editing. Samuel Kenny Creative is responsible for branding and graphic design. And the show is recorded at 3AW Studios, Collins Street, Melbourne. If you would like to contact my son, head to dylanfriends.com or look me up in the white pages and I'll pass it on. Listener.